Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Packers game and a preview of the Lions game. Justin Lacey's going to stop by with some excellent takes, and Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 5 review. Green Bay Packers, 25. Cincinnati Bengals, 22. What a game. I'll tell you, anyone who was in attendance at the stadium got themselves a really good treat. Exciting game to watch. We showed that we can keep up with any team in this league and score at will. The effort that this team shows is special, and that's a tribute to the coaching staff and obviously to the players. They don't stop hustling. They don't stop rallying to the ball. They never give up on scoring. It's just great to see, and it's going to lead to good things. Was I upset? Yeah, I was a little bit upset because I just can't take a loss, especially a game like that. It felt like we had nine lives, like they say about cats, right? It was like the Packers had the ball at the end of the game, and they could have kicked a winning field goal. They didn't. They got the interception in overtime. They could have kicked the winning field goal. They didn't. They drove down once again, missed another winning field goal. It was just like, wow, we're going to win this game. And then McPherson lines up to kick. Even the 57-yarder, I was like, he's got this. And it was long enough, just didn't quite get it. And then the 49-yarder, I was like, oh, no problem, no brainer. Here we go, 4-1. and one. That didn't happen, but that's okay. There's a lot of positives that we can draw from this game. All right, before we get into the game itself, let's go over some headlines real quick. So Joe Burrow, he injures the throat, has to go to the hospital after the game. That's, that's not fun stuff. And the play that he got bounced around and his head hit the turf, I'm not going to lie. I think Joe had a concussion. You know, they take him into the tent. Who knows what goes on in the tent? You'd like to see an independent neurologist check him out. I don't always know if that's the case. I don't know what, what goes on there. But when he came out, he wasn't right. I could tell when I saw him on the sideline for the rest of the game that he just wasn't right. And that's what happens. When you have an injury to your head, whether it's a concussion or not, the throat injury, that's where your brain is, and that's what controls your body and your mindset and the way you act and the way you feel. So I just didn't think that he was himself for the rest of the game. And he had some good throws after that. But, you know, in overtime, he made that one interception that was very unburrow-like. And I'm not going to blame it on the injury. You know, anything could have happened out there. But I could just tell that Joe Burrow was not himself. Other headlines, Xavier Suofilo went to the IR once again. And now Jackson Carmen's in the protocol. So it looks like Deontay Smith is going to get his first start. And if you remember, we've been talking about that. When you draft some of these rookies, you know they're going to get into the game at some point. Even though Smith was like the third man up for the right guard spot, he's going to be starting a very important game for us. So everyone needs to be prepared. You prepare like you're going to be a starter when you're on the bench. And hopefully Deontay Smith is going to be fully ready. And if he plays like he did in preseason, we're going to be all right. Jordan Evans, torn ACL, really tough break. You know, he was doing very good on special teams this year. And, you know, now the rehab begins. So, Jordan, my wishes go out to you. Good luck. Get yourself right. This isn't the end for you. And then the ripple effect from that injury, you're probably going to see Marcus Bailey get some more snaps. And I don't know who they're going to bring up. If it's going to be Joe Bocci or Keandre Jones, it's going to be one of those two probably because you, you don't want to be short a linebacker. And then Samaj P. Ryan, after a very good game, goes into the protocol. And we'll probably see Travion Williams come up to the active roster. And this is where you kind of miss a Jacquez Patrick. 
because Mixon's a little banged up, so you need like an alternate bell cow. And, you know, Williams and Chris Evans, they're a little more third down backs than they are like that, you know, that horse that can carry you for 20 to 30 carries. So it would have been nice to have Patrick. I don't know how he's doing over in San Francisco, but this would have been a game where he would have broke in and gotten a bunch of carries for us. But that's okay. He's not on the team anymore. We'll talk about the guys that are here, and it's going to be nice to see Travion Williams get a chance, and it's going to be nice to see Chris Evans running the ball as well. Trey Waynes with the hamstring on IR, and it's just been a snake-bitten career with him so far. We've had him on the field very minimally since he's been here. You know, now Eli Apple is going to get put in the starting lineup again, and, you know, we're going to be back to the defense that we were playing in the first couple games. So I hope that he heals. I want to see him contribute this year. He didn't play badly in the games that he did play. So, you know, get well soon, man. We need you back. Khalid Kareem has been cleared to practice, and then they have 21 days to activate him to the roster. So when they do so, someone's going to get sent down to the practice squad or waived. So I'm not sure who that's going to be. You know who I'm hoping it's not going to be. I'm really hoping it's not Darius Hodge. But we'll see how things play out. Kareem's going to be a good addition when he gets back. He plays hard out there, and he was productive as a rookie, and he had that one really good game in the preseason. So I'm looking forward to seeing him get back in the lineup and seeing what he can do in year two. And Jesse Bates, you know, he's he's playing injured. I know that neck is still bothering him, and that's a worrisome thing when you have, again, the head injuries, the neck injuries. I mean, no injury is fun, but, you know, head and neck, that's the stuff that really affects you. And, again, like I said before, can affect your mindset and how you approach things. And then at the end of this game, I know he got banged up. It looked like he just got the wind knocked out of him. I think he just landed on Cobb's foot and got it, like, kind of right in the chest. And that's my speculation. I haven't heard anything since. He hasn't surfaced on any injury reports yet. So we'll see what happens. But I think Bates is going to be good to go next week. And we do need him, obviously. He's one of our best players. All right, some other news. Accolades, we are the eighth-ranked defense in the NFL, and that's a big step from the last couple years. We were at the bottom of the league for a few years straight, and now all these free agent additions and draft picks, it's all starting to come together, and the defense is playing really well right now. And Jamar Chase nominated for his third Rookie of the Week already. He already won Rookie of the Month for September, and it looks like the sky's the limit for this guy. I'm just blown away. I'm so happy that we drafted him. It has worked out so well up to this point, and it looks like it's going to continue, and he's just going to get better and better and better. And he's making big plays. It's not just garbage time catches and, you know, compiling stats. He's making several plays a game that change the course of those games. And then some transactions. They waived safety Sean Davis, and they picked up veteran safety Michael Thomas. Yes, there is another Michael Thomas in the league. Tony Brown finally exited the team. You know, he was with us for a couple years. I did like him as a player, but he's on the street now. And then they signed Drew Chrisman, which got us all excited because we think he's going to be the punter of the future. And then they waived him after some of the injuries happened, and they signed a corner, Holton Hill, who has 28 games in the NFL, and he played under Zimmer. And you know how we like those Zimmer defensive backs. And halfback Elijah Holyfield, which they were showing on the bottom line. So the league knows about him and is excited about him. All right, let's move on to some observations from the game. We're 7-0 on coin tosses, 5 to start the game, and we won the toss in both overtimes. That's pretty crazy. You can't you flip a coin 7 times and you're going to get a mix of heads and tails and we just seemingly won every one. I hope it continues. It's a big asset. You want the ball first in overtime and you want to control if you get the ball first or do that whole get it at halftime double dip kind of thing. And then I always like to go to the end of the first half and see if we score before the half or let up a score. That's always a big factor in deciding a game. 
And this happened another time this year. We let up a touchdown. At this, In this case, it was at the minute seven mark. And then we're just showing that you give us 20, 30 seconds and we're going to put the ball in the end zone. And we've done it repeatedly. And then there was Chase with the 70-yard touchdown at the 36-second mark. That's the kind of thing that wins games. And in this case, it didn't. But you keep scoring before the half, you're going to win more games than you lose. And I just love the fact that how quickly this team can score and it's almost like, you know, you give the ball to a Brady or a Rodgers or a Burrow, and you know they're going to put points on the board no matter how much time you leave them. The secondary continues to tackle exceptionally. All of them. Hilton, Awuzie, Bates, Bell. Take your pick. These guys are playing hard, and when your secondary makes those tackles, you don't give up big plays. And I know the Bengals have always gone after defensive backs that could tackle. Well, it's really coming into fruition now, and these guys are are game-changing for us. And you see that on the whole defense. I said it in the opener. We're rallying to the ball. You just see on every play, there's four or five, six Bengals going to the ball and never giving up, and everyone wants their piece of the pie and get their sacks and their tackles. And when you have a defense that's that aggressive and hustles that much, good things are going to happen, and that's why you're an eighth-ranked defense. And then we held them to three fourth-quarter points. That's big with Aaron Rodgers there. And at one point, they had the ball at the six-yard line, first down, and they couldn't punch it in. Again, another tribute to the defense and another thing that could change the course of a game. And then in similar fashion, we held them to another field goal attempt in overtime after the Burrow interception. They had the ball on the 17-yard line. Same thing. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, they couldn't punch it in. And then the other barometer that I always like to go by is the first series of the second half. So now the Bengals are down 16-14. We come out of the locker room. I'm analyzing what kind of adjustments we're going to make, how are we going to approach this very important first drive. And they were mixing it up a little bit. So what they did is they had P. Ryan up the middle for four yards. Then they did that little turnaround stick route to Chase where he grabbed it and had a whole bunch of yards after the catch, a nice 27-yarder there. So they basically started with a, a run up the middle and then a quick short pass that was turned into a long gain. And then they went back to those misdirections which have been working, where everything looks like it's going left, and all of a sudden Burrow kicks back out to the right. He didn't have anybody open, and he forced the ball downfield. Carmen's guy was pressuring him, so he kind of had to get rid of the ball quickly. And it's worked before where he's running out there, looked for a guy downfield, and zipped it in there. In this case, it was intercepted. So that was the first series of the second half. Great play calling, looked like we were going to move the ball down the field, and then, of course, the unfortunate interception. Time of possession for the game was pretty much even. You'd like to have the edge there, but at least you weren't in the negative there, and you could think that Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones could control the clock, but it looks like Joe Burrow and P. Ryan and Mixon can also control the clock. I didn't see the stats on field position, which is another big factor, but it seemed to be pretty even because they got the ball on the 17 after the one interception. They were near midfield a couple times. You know, we didn't take advantage of field position when we needed to, and that cost us ultimately not winning this game. For instance, you had the Awuzie interception. He takes it back to their 42. And what happens? We go three and out. It results in a pun and, unfortunately, a touchback. So we got it at the 42 and gave them the ball at the 20. It was like a 22-net yard punt differential or whatever you want to call that stat. So not a very productive play, and that was a series where we should have scored. We should have at least gotten a field goal out of that. Again, that contributes to not winning a game. And the same thing with the Brandon Wilson return. He returned it to our 40, 
and that drive ended in a punt as well. And that's another time. When you get the ball at the 40 on a kickoff or beyond, you should be able to put up some points there, and we didn't. So those are two big missed opportunities. And I think there was a punt later on in the game where we got it mid near midfield and weren't able to convert that as well. So those are things that we need to just improve upon. Sometimes it's just the flow of the game. It hasn't been a problem for us in the past, so let's assume that it's not going to be a problem moving forward. And then we had a couple blown coverages. You had the one really big one to Adams early. What happened there was it was a Wouzier on the outside, and the Bengals were in a zone. So when Adams ran that slant, Wouzier released him to the inside, and no one was really there to help out, and that's why he was wide open. They had three wide receivers on that side, so maybe that caused the confusion. Either way, we don't have too many of those lapses. In that case, that one did hurt us. And then on the A.J. Dillon touchdown, the, the reception... What happened there is we had two guys that covered the tight end and they forgot to cover the running back. So it was like two guys covering one when it should have been one guy on the outside and one guy covering the tight end. So again, a missed assignment, something to watch on film and improve upon. There was a couple of those with the running backs this game. I assume that that's going to get cleaned up quickly, especially when the guys see the film on it. And then I have a quick question for you guys. Do you think the Adams fade touchdown was actually a catch? I never know what to think on these. I never know the ruling or, or what they go by. So he caught the ball. He got two feet down. But as he's going out of bounds, he drops the ball. I didn't think you could do that. I, I didn't think that was a catch. But it wasn't even questioned. They gave him the touchdown. I'm not complaining. I never complain about the officiating. But I, I, I was kind of confused on that. And I, I, was, I was thinking, like, I don't know if that's a catch. But, you know, it, six points were on the board. So I guess that your host was wrong there. And we had a rough time on third and short in this game, unfortunately. And you want to get into third and shorts. And that's a way that you win games is by having successful first and second downs, converting your third downs, marching the ball down the field. Unfortunately, we had several third and shorts that we didn't convert. Another reason why we lost the game. And I know the fans weren't happy with calling the runs before the 57-yard field goal and the 49-yard field goal in overtime. And I understand, I back Coach Taylor on this. I know you want to see, yeah, let's throw a pass downfield, get 10 yards closer. A couple things come into play there. They didn't want to risk anything. And I think that Burrow's state of mind and injury contributed to that, saying, like, he's not himself right now, and let's just play a conservative because McPherson can bang it in from anywhere. And that's what I thought. When he lined up for the 57-yarder, as I said earlier, I was like, we got this. And when you got him into position to kick a field goal less than 50 yards, you think it's a no-brainer. So I don't totally disagree with those play calls. I really think it was based on Burrow's health and playing it a little conservatively. But at that point, you know, all you need is a field goal from a kicker who is kicking everything through the uprights up to this point. And then some quick observations on Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, the arm strength and the accuracy and the ability to extend plays, those are the special things about his game. The mobility, those are the things that have made him have a great career and are going to put him in the Hall of Fame. It's enjoyable to watch that guy. I mean, I don't like when he's playing us, but man, he's a good quarterback. And Devontae Adams, let's not feel bad about letting up 200-plus yards because I've seen a bunch of Packers games this year, and no one can stop him. He's been unstoppable. Yeah, we happen to be the latest victim. We knew coming in it was going to be tough. But he's going to be doing that to everybody all year. It's not an indictment on our secondary or our defense. And then I stand corrected. I came in thinking that without Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, they weren't going to have a good pass rush. And they did. And Preston Smith actually played in the game, so that's what helped their pass rush. 
but Lowry was really beating up on Carmen, and they were getting a lot of pressure this game. So again, I do stand corrected on my stance. All right, so let's go over some key plays from the game, and I'm not going to include any of the kicks. So key plays for the Bengals. The Awuzie interception, it was early in the game. Green Bay's crossed midfield. It's looking like Aaron Rodgers is going to put points on the board and to get a turnover and bring the ball all the way back into their territory. We didn't convert that into anything, but it did stop a Packers drive. So I would say that was a very key play in the beginning parts of the game. And one of the biggest plays from the game was the Chase TD. It is just so fun to see that. You're never out of any game when you have that combination that can complete deep passes at will like that. So what happened? The Packers rushed four guys, and then they dropped two of them back into coverage to stop the short and intermediate routes. So now Burrow has time against like two pass rushers, and then the other two guys kind of came in late. So he had plenty of time to scramble, to survey the field. And then what's going on is Burrow's continuing the play to the right side. Chase is aware of this. Excellent for a rookie, great traits, and Chase comes all the way from the other side of the field. Burrow launches the ball 52 yards in the air. The defender almost hits it, so it's great concentration on Chase's part, and there we go for a huge touchdown once again. So there were so many elements to that. The scramble, the continuation of the play, the long throw, the great concentration on the catch. That play is symbolic of the talent of these two players. And it was really nice to see at a time where we really needed it. We needed that to get back into the game. Another big play was the Mixon eight-yard touchdown run. So what happened, he goes up the middle, there's nothing inside. He bounces it to the outside. A lot of times that's a recipe for a loss or a no gain. And when he got out there, there was a defender there, and he makes this devastating juke on the guy and he finds himself in the end zone. Excellent play by Mixon. He really, that was just all Joe Mixon, because the blocking up front didn't really give him a hole, and he did it all himself. And then the game-saving play was the Higgins two-point conversion in the back of the end zone. Without it, that game was over. Green Bay would have gotten the ball back, probably run out the clock, and, you know, all Bengal fans would have been going home mad. So what happened on that play? Burrow's looking for Chase. Chase had pretty tight coverage. It was one-on-one, but it wasn't, it would have been a contested ball. So Burrow decides to look for his next option. And then Higgins does the same thing that Chase did on the big play. He hustles on that drag route all the way across the back of the end zone. Burrow hits him. Higgins high points the ball with a contest, almost a contested catch. And that was a huge play in the game that took us into overtime. And then a couple of the plays that were really impactful for Green Bay. We were in the mid-third quarter. And Rodgers got out of trouble. It looked like we were going to have him. And then he finds Tanyan going towards the right sideline against Wilson. And they converted a third down. It kept the drive alive. And it led to a field goal. So if we would have gotten Rodgers on the ground, or if Wilson was able to contest that catch, they would have had three points less. That might have been the formula for us winning the game. Another one was late in the third. Burrow gets the first down on a fourth and two. Quarterback draw, which he did twice this game. But there was a holding call on Quentin Spain, and it was a legitimate hold and led to a punt, and you know holding is a drive killer. And I'm one of those that wants to press for holding to be a five-yard penalty. It's just 10 yards. It kills so many drives. And, you know, if they want the league to be an offensive league, maybe you turn that into a five-yard penalty. And then the biggest play for Green Bay was, again, Rodgers had nowhere to throw. We almost had him again, but that's the magic of Aaron Rodgers. And he hits Randall Cobb for that 15-yard catch, which sets up the field goal from just inside of 50, game winner. 
And then you see Bates get the wind knocked out of him, hurt on that play. And then you also see Waynes go on IR because of that play. So that was really the most negative play of the game and the biggest play for the Packers. All right, let's quickly go over the position groups and the performances. So quarterback, Joe Burrow, pretty good game. A lot of accurate throws. He's got to protect himself more. I know he's such a warrior, but the team needs him. There's nothing more daring than taking on two defenders as a quarterback and getting the big first down for your team. But you have to think of the other side. If you go out of the game, your team is not going to win. So it's worth not converting one or two third downs to preserve yourself and live to fight another day. Because when Burrow went down, I just saw the way his eyes closed, and I was like, he's got a concussion. He's going to be out this week, possibly another week. You know, I get in that doomsday when I see really bad hits like that. And it's not totally fair of me and not fair to Brandon Allen, but at that point I was like, well, Brandon Allen's going to come in, and we're going to lose the game. This is, a, this is how the Packers are going to beat us. Great. And that didn't happen. I shouldn't think so negatively. You know, I'm, Brandon, I'm going to give you a chance. I, don't, I didn't mean to diss on you there, but that's just what I was thinking at the time. And, Joe, you got to protect yourself. We need you, man. And then this was a game where I thought arm strength was a little bit of an issue for Joe Burrow, and I never think it is. I think he's got a very good arm. You know, not the the Josh Allen type of arm, but he's got a very live arm and a functional arm, and you can see he's getting more arm strength as time goes by. I know a lot of people are going to point to a couple of those deep passes that were underthrown. I didn't really think that was the biggest problem. I saw a couple plays where there was like an out. It happened maybe like two or three times where I was like, wow, the ball is just taking too long to get to the receiver there. So I'm not questioning Joe's arm strength. It, maybe it was just situational, maybe throwing to the opposite hash. It's a longer throw than you think. But that was one of the things that I observed from this game that I really haven't observed from Joe Burrow before. And then with Joe, they ran the quarterback draw a couple times. It was successful on both fourth and twos. So it worked for us. Unfortunately, we had the holding call on one of them. So let's go over the Joe Burrow interceptions. The first one we talked about already, he was scrambling, and he kind of forced it while he was under pressure, thought he could thread it in there, wasn't able to, interception. Overtime, it was a miscommunication with Boyd, as was stated publicly. My personal thought was Burrow was near concussed, having a throw issue, kind of wanted to just zip it in there and and get the ball downfield and, and end this game, and he rushed it, didn't see the defender, Interception number two. And those are things that when he sees the tape, he's going to know and and hopefully not make that mistake again. But as a Joe Burrow enthusiast, I'm going to say that it was because his head wasn't right. To break down what happened on the sacks very quickly, the first one, P. Ryan missed a block, and you saw the guy grab Burrow by the jersey and was able to pull him down. That's a strong defensive end there. And then Jonah got beat by Preston Smith on the second sack. And then on the third sack, it was Reef who was beaten by a speed rush to the outside, and that guy forced Joe Burrow up into the pocket. Carmen was getting pushed back by his guy. There was a lot of congestion in there, and that resulted in sack three. It was technically on Reef, but Carmen is going to get credit for get letting up the sack because it was his guy. All right, on to running back. Joe Mixon played really hard through that injury. You know his ankle is nowhere near 100%, but he was out there doing anything that was asked of him, blocking making some tough runs, making that excellent fake. It was nice to see that they limited his snaps and his carries, but he was still out there a lot, and I admire him for playing hurt like that. Samaj P. Ryan did exactly what you want to do as a backup. He came in, and there was very little drop-off. He was running the ball well. He was catching the ball out of the backfield. He had the touchdown, 
and on that play, they were concerned about Chase, and it was kind of a pick play. I guess they could have thrown the flag, but the defense had two guys that were worried about Chase before anything, and there was P. Ryan off in the flat, easy touchdown. And I've said this about him before, he is the definition of a north and south runner. Just full speed ahead, get as much yards straight ahead as you can, no time to dance around, challenging guys. You want to tackle me? Here's your chance. I'm coming right at you. Chris Evans, a couple nice receptions. He's going to be deadly in that passing game as the year goes on. And with P. Ryan out this week and mixing a little compromise, we're going to see what else he can do out there. The thing, we noticed this in preseason, and I figured it was going to be correctable. You saw him do this this game where he's running east-west a little bit. And I understand that. When you're a speedback like that, and you're used to doing that in college, just running around like, like a video game and no one can touch you, I understand why your instincts would say, you know, let me dance around a little bit. I'm going to get by these guys. Tough to do that in the NFL. So, again, he'll watch the tape and he'll learn when to go east and west and when to go north and south. But that's all fixable. At least he's being productive. And you can see this guy has a very high ceiling. Wide receivers, what more can I say about Jamar Chase? I mean, he's like the new A.J. Green for us. I know they're different types of players, but just the impact and knowing that you have a guy that is just so dangerous and makes big play after big play. So he had 159 yards receiving. That's a ton of yards, especially for a rookie. He had the early drop, and he kind of squeezed his hands together before the ball got there. It was just kind of rushing the play a little bit. But then after that, he didn't let that get in his head. He didn't let, oh, you had the three drops in the preseason. You have problems with your hands. No, none of that. He just went back to business and played phenomenally the rest of the game. He's giving us the run after the catch that we expected. He's making back shoulder catches. The concentration that he showed a couple times, one on the touchdown, where if someone waves their hand in front just as the ball's about to get there, that's tough. That's like a catcher in baseball. Those guys get used to it. If you ever played catcher, it's kind of hard to catch a ball where when the guy's swinging. But, you know, you just kind of anticipate where it's going to be. And the other big-time concentration play was when the ball was juggled and tipped up in the air, and he grabbed the rebound. So he got his hands on the ball once. It pops up in the air. He had the concentration Hey, the almost the A.J. Green juggling ability to haul it in the second time around when it fell to him. And he made that huge catch in overtime down the sideline where they ruled him out of bounds. And then when they showed the replay, it was this amazing footwork. And that's one of those elite skills when you have that kind of toe-drag swag, as they call it. And even when he's not catching the ball, he's seemingly having an impact. Like on the P. Ryan touchdown... As I said, he had the pick, but the two guys were more worried about him than P. Ryan, and it freed up him. On the Higgins play, you could tell the defense was swinging towards Chase because they figured that Joe was going to go to Chase on that left corner, and then that sets up Higgins back of the end zone. So he's setting up his teammates with his exceptional play, and that's just showing. I mean, he's contributing in every which way. Higgins' productive game, five catches, and a couple important catches— It's just he kind of got overshadowed by the game that Chase had, but Higgins contributed to that effort very much. And he's coming back from a shoulder injury. So this first game back, and he already was productive. So just watch as he heals up a little more. You're going to see some electric games out of T. Higgins. And Tyler Boyd had a quiet game. I thought he was going to have a big game against their slot corner. And I read that he was double teamed, but when I watched the film, you you don't really double team a slot guy. It's more zone. So I don't know if that was the true explanation on why he didn't get the ball more, but it it doesn't matter. He always comes up big. He made the big catch with 44 seconds left in the game to set up the field goal. And he just shows he's got reliable hands. He runs tough routes in the middle of the field. 
and he's always putting us in a good position and a position to win. On to tight ends. It wasn't really a, a Uzama game. I think he had a reception or two. Those guys were mostly blocking. Drew Sample had a rough game. He had two drops. One was a tough catch. It was a little high, but you'd like to see him pull that in. And then they did that misdirection that we talk about where Burrow goes to the right. Everything's going right. And then there's the tight end releasing to the left. He hits Sample. Sample has all the momentum in the world. I'm thinking he's going into the end zone. And he trips. And and that's that happens to guys sometimes. When you have that much real estate in front of you and you try to just book it before you get your legs underneath you, sometimes that does happen. Unfortunately, it happened to Drew Sample. Offensive line, Riley Reef and Jonah played solidly. They they both were responsible for a sack, and it feels like with both of them, they really hold down their own most of the time, and there's like just a couple bad plays a game, and those are the plays that you notice. Oh, Jonah let up a sack, he's playing badly. Not really. But if you go back to the big Willie Anderson theory, you should have no pressures and no sacks let up. But that, that's hard. We're all human and they're playing against some excellent defensive ends. People pay their edge rushers a lot of money for a reason, and to shut out guys game after game is very difficult. So it's understandable that these guys are going to let up a couple bad plays a game. Let's just hope that the effects of those bad plays aren't fumbles, interceptions, or getting Joe Burrow hurt. And Jackson Carmen, who I've been praising a lot up to this point, had a really tough game against Lowry. He was getting beat badly. And Carmen is known for his strength, and he was getting pushed back. I don't know if it was just something with footwork or leverage, or maybe the guy was just flat-out stronger than him. But again, I don't expect that to be the norm. He's going to watch the tape, hopefully get that corrected, and hopefully he's not going to get mismatched by defensive tackles much this season. All right, on to the defense. This Trey Hendrickson is an excellent pickup. Never gives up on a play. Has excellent speed, excellent strength, very good moves. A lot of times he gets pushed past the quarterback, and then he just comes bouncing back up with hustle and will and gets the sack. You saw it a lot with him last year with the Saints. You've seen it a couple times this year. And he had two sacks this game, and he's on pace for a double-digit sack season and worth every penny so far. I hope he stays healthy. He's a major part of this defense. DJ Reader continues to play solidly and set up the guys around him. He blasted Rodgers on that key third down late in the game, and Rodgers was hurt after that one. So I don't like to see anybody get hurt, but that was a big play by Reader. And every time I see Tupo, it seems like he's doing something productive out there. So I, I think that his... Excellent season is continuing, and Ogunjobi is playing lights out. This wasn't his best game, but a very solid performance. Again, he's coming in with a knee injury, so that might have affected him a little bit. But all of those defensive tackles are heavily contributing to this eighth-ranked defense. B.J. Hill, it seems like every time he's in there, he's producing. And that was a surprise. We didn't even know his name when the season started. And here's a guy with three sacks and a bunch of productive snaps for us. And Cam Sample, rookie, keeps... He's another one. A couple plays a game. He's he's not in there that much, but he's shining. And he had a nice pressure in this game as well. You know he had the sack last week. So I can see the arrow pointing up for him and more big plays to follow. And then Hubbard. He's not getting the pressure that we want on a consistent basis. He is effective against the run, but the big play from him, he ran down Aaron Jones on that 57-yard run. And you have to think of where Hubbard was coming from. He's coming from the other side. He's on the offense's right. And this play was all the way to the left down the sideline, and he's coming there just as fast as the DBs, and he saved a touchdown. Linebackers, Pratt had some solid tackling. Again, he's having a pretty good year, 
And I thought Wilson held up well against Robert Tanyan, who's a very good tight end. He let up the one play that we talked about that was kind of a key play, but it wasn't like Tanyan was lighting us up this game, and I've seen him have some very big games. So although you didn't notice Wilson that much, I think that he, he held up very well this game. Defensive backs, I highlighted the tackling. Right, Hilton, Bates, Bell, those guys are doing their job on that end. I mean, Hilton lets up the occasional pass, but the defensive back that I want to highlight from this game is Jadobia Wuzie. A couple things about him. Exceptional tackling. The form tackles on those wide receiver screens. You know, a wide receiver gets the ball on the flat, and you're thinking, all right, if you miss this tackle, this guy's going for 12, 15 yards. And both times, he just perfect form tackle, hitting the guys just below the waist, and they didn't go forward. Both of those guys snapped backwards. So really, really strong tackles there that protected against big plays. He, of course, had the interception. And then they started having him follow Devontae Adams around. And I understand Adams had a big game. Not all of those catches were on a Wouzier. But the fact that we can have the confidence to put him against the team's number one, that's a big step. And that's something that we haven't had here in a while. And then he played hurt. You know, he's got the groin injury. He hobbled off for a couple plays, comes back in, warrior. So another great acquisition, and I can't wait to see what the rest of this season brings for him. Special teams, nice to see Brandon Wilson back to normal. A couple nice returns, including the big 40-yard return. Kevin Huber had a decent game. He had the one touchback, which happened after the interception, but he also put two inside the 20. So I think that if you're inside the 20s or higher than your touchbacks, I would say that's a pretty good game for a punter. And Stanley Morgan, you know, he's one of those guys, when they have their wide receivers in camp, we're always thinking of the pass catchers, and he always seems to be at the bottom of the list, and you're always thinking that maybe he's the odd man out because we want to see these other guys who are more productive with the ball in their hands. But this guy is a special team's weapon. It's like Slater from the Patriots. He he never played any real snaps, but so productive in the kicking game that you just can't get him off the roster. And I think that's the case with Stanley Morgan. Stanley, if you keep playing the way you are, you're going to have a home on this roster for for five to seven years at this point. And then McPherson. I said it in earlier episodes. Expect that he's going to miss a big kick this year and don't get down on him for it. He's a young player. He's got the intangibles. He was our favorite player a week or two ago. There's no reason to turn on him and question his ability now. He's got everything you need out of a kicker. He's calm out there. Even with the misses, he was pretty much unfazed. He's got that burrow-like poise. He's got enough leg. The 57-yarder hit midway up that goalpost. It was not an issue of not having enough leg on it. It was just a little off. It tailed a little bit at the end. But obviously, this guy is capable of making a 60-yarder if we need it. So I'm not down on Evan McPherson. He's going to bounce back, and maybe this is what you need, a little adversity. It's not all going to be perfect, and your career is just going to be this dream from beginning to end. The adversity gets you to work harder and be more intense, and I'm not worried about McPherson at all. So that's it. A couple chances to go 4-1. and one. The game was in our grasp. We almost beat the Packers, and we're going to hang in there with everybody this season. So we're at 3-2. and two. And we're still in good position to have a great season and hopefully make the playoffs and beyond. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. How you doing, bud? All right, my friend. What are your thoughts on everything? Uh, we should have won this game. I mean, Green Bay came limping into Cincinnati. And... Nobody wanted to win it. 
and finally Green Bay won. But that's a game we had to win. You know, you, the, the loss still didn't hurt us because it's an NFC team. You know, we're still 3-2. and two, But come on. I mean, that game was gift wrap for them. You know, there's... There's no more, uh, oh, we hung tough with them. There's no more of that. This one hurts, especially with Baltimore pulling that out uh, Monday night against the Colts. But the team played, you know, all right. Uh, at the end, the, the tackling on the defense was uh, was kind of bad. Uh, they gave up a couple big plays at the end. The, the run defense held up pretty good until that, late 50-yard run, I mean, Devontae Adams just single-handedly killed them. They complimented Pittsburgh when they played them, how they took Devontae Adams out of the game, and yet how he got 200-something yards receiving. Ugh, you know, and they held Aaron Rodgers pretty much in check. I mean, you know, he did make a, a few nice throws, but they had pressure on him. You know, Henderson, two sacks, great to see. Linebackers were pretty shaky. Offensive-wise, you know, they're, they're killing them in Cincinnati. I'm talking about Zach Taylor about the play calling. Sometimes his offense just disappears. And isn't a, a, you know, a formable offense. There's some weird play calling. Matt Nagy for the Bears... The, the fans got on him so much, he, and he was an offensive coordinator in the NFL, and he gave up the play calling. You know, I, Zach Taylor has to give it up. I mean, it's just too much for a guy that's never called plays in the NFL, let alone coaching, uh, being a head coach. And, you know, it's not saying he's out of the loop, and, you know, he, of course he can be part of the game plan and stuff, but Somebody else has to call the, the, the plays here because there's some calls that are, you know, baffling the mind. But it was a winnable game, Frank. Uh, buddy texted me right before the first time he was going to kick the game-winning field goal. Does this guy have enough flag? And I, I texted back, He's uh, they call him Legatron. And the guy missed two along with Crosby's three. So doesn't hurt him with the, the, the standings per se, but damn, that's a winnable game. Frustrating. Week six preview Cincinnati Bengals at Detroit Lions. First play we come out with four wide receivers and a running back. We have Higgins and Chase on the same side. Higgins in the slot, Chase on the outside. What do we do? Let's challenge that questionable secondary of the Lions early. I want to send Higgins on a long post right down the middle of the field to occupy the safety, and let's get Chase one-on-one -on, -one on the outside with that corner, and let's let Burrow get a little bit of protection from that extra running back and let it rip downfield. 75-yard touchdown to Chase on the opening drive. You do that, you're not losing that game. So why not? Take a chance. The long pass has been working. It'll get the Lions on their heels. That's a quick way to break an 0-5 team is to score immediately. And I think we have the ability to do that as we've shown. If that doesn't work, 
Second play, go right to five wide receivers. Again, let those defensive backs know, we're coming at you today. Be ready. What do we do? We'll just hit Boyd with a nice slant. Seven to 12 yards. Get him started early. Let him do his thing. And then what do we do there? Just say we get into a third down. Four wides again. Chris Evans in the backfield. Let the pass rush come. Little screen pass to Evans. And watch that play go for like 20, 25 yards. So that's my suggestion. Really go at the Lions early. If you go three and out and you punt, then you D up and you be prepared for whatever comes your way. But I say right away, we just go aggressive, passing, multiple wide receiver sets, go over the top and let them know it's going to be a long day and let them know that we're going to try to blow you out. Some general commentary on the Lions. They're not as bad as the 0-5 record. They've hung in there with some teams. Minnesota beat them by a last-second field goal. I think that happened to them one other other time this year. So an 0-5 team can be dangerous because they're looking for that first win. And especially after the Bengals had a big emotional game like that. Again, trap game. I don't know. I don't want to jinx us. I don't even want to use that term. But if something goes wrong in this game, you know, that could be a contributing reason why. And Campbell has them playing hard. You know, he's a very emotional, energetic coach, and that translates to the players, and, and they do play hard. You know, that's some, it's a hard-hitting team, not a lot of big names on their defense, but don't think that they can't light you up if you give them the chance to. And then something that works in our favor, they're 25th in the league in points allowed and 25th in the league in points scored. So according to that stat, they let up a lot of points and they don't score a lot of points. If that holds true... This should be a big win for Cincinnati. So some offensive strategy. There's lots of unfamiliar names on that Lions D. I don't know how good a lot of these players are. Not a lot of them are highly ranked. They have a couple players that stand out. The secondary looks a little weak, except for the free safety, Tracy Walker. I can expect him to help out doubling Chase because Chase has made such an impression on the league. And that's going to set up the other wide receivers. So I'd say one of the strategies is feed all three wide receivers. Chase is going to get his opportunities, whether doubled or not. You're going to have Boyd a lot out of the slot. The slot corner's not that good over there. And Higgins is going to be one game healthier, coming off a few big catches. So look for our trio of wide receivers to really contribute in this game. So in addition to Boyd exploiting A.J. Parker in the slot, I think we should also exploit their front seven in the run game too, because it's not a strong front seven either. So what do you have there? You're going to run the ball, control the clock, frustrate the defense. Let's get Chris Evans and Travion Williams involved with some screens and some running back passes out to the flat. Those are all things that can help contribute to a win, frustrate the defense, and really set up things over top, which is going to be there for us all game. Concerns? Joe Mixon's hurt. Samaje Piran's out. So we have a shortage of power backs. If we can't get the third down backs going on first and second down, we're going to be a little more predictable. They can sit back on the passing game. And, you know, that could be an area where they get the edge if we can't show some dominance in the running game. And then Tracy Walker at free safety. He's a little bit better against the run than against the pass, but he's effective at both. So that's a guy, you know, if you make a few careless mistakes, he could be responsible for a turnover. You know, maybe he helps shut down Chase. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen that way, but that's going to be one of the things that he's going to be tasked with this game. And then Trey Flowers is their big edge rusher. And he's a veteran, and he's had a productive season and a pretty productive career, so he's going to be matched up against Jonah most of the time. And I'm assuming that Jonah is going to lock that down, but again, there are a couple lapses per game, so I hope that none of those result in a big play that contributes to us not winning the game. Defensively, 
I think the key to this is stopping DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. I think everything goes through their running backs, especially with Cephas out. He was their wide receiver that was really performing for them, and they don't have much behind him. So it's not a game where the wide receiver should be lighting you up, especially with our secondary playing pretty well. So I think the main effort, the main strategy is going to be stop these running backs, and we have to shore up our defense against some running back passes, which last game against the Packers, we got exploited a little bit. You know the Lions are going to watch film on that. So we don't want to make those same mistakes and you know double cover the tight end and, and leave one of those great receiving backs out of the backfield because they can't hurt you. So that's the key. Stop the running backs for the Lions, and you're going to win this game. And then there's always forcing Jared Goff into mistakes. I mean, number one pick in the draft, he's he definitely has the ability. He went to a Super Bowl, so it's not like he's a bad player, but it seems like his career has turned more towards the downside in recent years. And he's, he's one, I think you can get him for an interception, maybe two. Definitely a guy that I think you can rattle and get him to fumble the ball as well. So look for that as a big part of our strategy. You know, get a couple big hits on him, and that's going to put a big dent in their passing game. And like I said, we work on stopping the run. I don't know what the Lions are going to be able to do to win this game if, if we execute on both of those things. Defensive concerns, again, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, TJ Hawkinson could hurt us too. I think I think he's going to get about 10 to 12 targets this game, especially with Cephas out. So that's going to be on Logan Wilson. That's going to be on Gaither when he's in there. That's going to be on Jesse Bates, Von Bell. We're going to really need to be looking at this guy. And then Panay Sewell, it's going to be fun to watch him. This is like what we could have had as opposed to the rookie of the year. And I think he's doing okay this year, and I'm going to be watching him closely because I just want to make the comparison Ragnall's having surgery. He's one of the best centers in the league, so we don't have to worry about him in there. So it's really just like one big-name offensive lineman and a bunch of other guys that are kind of middle of the road. So it should be a good game for us on the defensive line as well. 27-16 Bengals. Maybe not scoring as much as we think we're going to score, but when you look at what the Lions have let up this year, they're letting up about 27 points a game, and that seems right. Maybe three touchdowns, two field goals for us. And then the Lions with 16 points, you know, we'll give them a touchdown and maybe they get close enough to kick a couple field goals. But I'm thinking 27-16, Bengals go to 4-2, and two, and bring it on, Baltimore. We're going to be totally ready for you. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? It's a beautiful afternoon, the day after a game. I'm doing fabulous, Frank. You know what, Justin, give us some give us some sage, give us some psychological advice to help us Bengal fans get over what happened yesterday. Well, I'll pretty much start with this. You remember when Aaron Rodgers said in twenty fourteen, uh, you know, he spelled out R E L A X and he just said relax and that became sort of the, the mainstream popularity on all national airwaves. I remember coming on a couple of episodes ago and that was the thing that Bengal fans needed to understand that this is a process. We came into this season looking at this, like this team has potential. This is going to be our fun year. We're going to see how this team can compete just because Joe Burrow is also coming off this devastating injury that he experienced last year. So with that being said, when I look at the game yesterday, man, you know, there's a lot of things that could have gone better. There's a lot of things that could have gone wrong, too, in that in that instance as well, too. But, you know what? They Instead of just looking at it with a whole direct game plan and, you know, psyching themselves out, they sized up the opponent like it's two heavyweight battles, and they just kept going at them. 
And, you know, they took the punches and they gave punches. And it was, it became one of the better games throughout the NFL landscape on Sundays, on Sunday's rundown of games. So I'm actually in a really good headspace. Um, obviously, we lost the game. That doesn't feel good to lose the game. You know, I'm still recovering. My voice still hurts. <laughs> I screaming at the TV it. so much. But I was screaming at the TV not only because of good things, but bad things too. But in the end of the game, after just calming myself down and getting myself in the mental headspace that this team is still not the same team that we saw a year ago or throughout 2019 when we were awful in 2018, Marvin Lewis last year, or all the other losing seasons combined, that this team is built different. I hear you on that. This team is definitely built differently than the teams of the last few years that have struggled. You know, what are your thoughts overall on what's going on now and and how we move forward from this game? Well, I'm actually going to tell take Bengals fans, including myself and yourself, into a different direction because it's so easy to pinpoint and look at ourselves and look at our team as, oh, we should have did this, we should have did that. Oh, Zach Taylor this, Zach Taylor that. Play calling this, play calling that. You know, I'm not going to go that route this time because – you know, that's, that's pretty much well documented across all Bengals Nation following every loss or even every win, too. I'm going to show people that Green Bay really didn't perform to the level of expectations that they should have performed. They played very conservatively, too. They decided to attempt a field goal, one of Mason Crosby's misses, on third and 15. And you're telling me that you can't really get a few extra yards because you're trying to make it closer or just at least decide to get the first down? It, it seemed like both coaches, Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur, was coaching this game just to hurry up and get out of Dodge and get out of here with the win, and it both and it bit them both in the rear end because they didn't. They kept leaving opportunities for the other team, and it seemed like that Matt Lafleur played conservatively because he didn't want to give the ball back to Joe Burrow. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, Zach Taylor played for the field goal. You can't really explain the misses because misses are misses. You just like to think that these guys are pros that they also get over it. And it didn't happen. And it also in the end of the game, Green Bay, they got the opportunity to kick the game-winning field goal. As devastating as the loss was, it wasn't as devastating because this is, while there is no moral victories here, I don't want to hinge on moral victories, but this is in that realm in that stratosphere where you can say that moral victories can be acceptable because we went toe-to-toe with one of the best to ever do it and should have won the game, but we didn't win the game. Justin, we were talking off-air about an interesting analysis that you had where you compared the Bengals to the Patriots. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? If you recall back in 2000, like the 2000s decade of the early Patriots dynasty uh, from 2001, 2003, 2004, now obviously you can't really you know, compare the Super Bowl trophies and stuff because we don't have a history of Super Bowl wins or even playoff wins for that matter. But because Bill Belichick and his coaching staff and that team – enhanced on the fact of situational football and preparing the team for it. You'll be putting thousands of situations throughout a football game. You may not know what it is, but you just need to play them. And that's what I'm comparing this newfound Bengals team and this culture to. Just think of about last week what happened in Jacksonville on Thursday night. They were down 14-0 in the hole at home. Instead of just – and they could have went down 21 nothing. But this team found a belief in themselves that they rallied around not just their quarterback, but the team. And they performed with so much intensity that Jacksonville was not going to stop it. Over the years, I've seen New England do that during the Tom Brady era where he's faced so many different type of adversities and overcame them all. You never counted out Brady and the Patriots just because they were still there. 
this is the same feeling that I get from this Cincinnati Bengals team. It was so easy to just to roll over to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, but they didn't just roll over. They came out and punched him in the mouth as well. They also came and scored when they needed to score and then tied the game with a two-point conversion when they needed time. It wasn't some lucky bounce or anything like that. No, they came and did it when they needed to do it, and they made it happen. Because I've seen the New England Patriots do that so many times over the year, and they built a culture of so many of stuff like that over the years, and hence why the Patriot way was born. And they're doing it without necessarily trying to be like the New England Patriots at that. They're doing it by being themselves. And that's why I compare the two together is that we may be seeing the Cincinnati Bengals turning into the new version of the New England Patriots. I'll tell you, I think you're making me feel better about everything, going punch for punch with Aaron Rodgers and making a pretty legitimate comparison to those successful Patriots team. Justin, excellent takes as always. How can people find you on social media? Juddy13, J-U-T-T-Y-13. Like I said before on the other a couple of episodes that I've appeared on, I am so excited to ingrain myself in the Bengals culture, and I'm happy to help anybody feel better about even if it was a rollover loss where we just got blown out 38 to 6. You know, there's always going to be some silver lining because, hey, that can happen too, you know. But Juddy13 is how you can find me on Instagram. You know, shoot me a follow. I'm happy to, I'm happy to chime in wherever. Great talking to you again, my friend. Thank you so much, Frank. AFC North standings. The Bengals are 3-2 and two and currently the second seed in the AFC North. They trail the 4-1 and one Ravens, and they have the tiebreaker on the 3-2 and two Browns. The Steelers are in last place at 2-3. and three. The Bengals are currently the fifth seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Lions game and a preview of the upcoming matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. We're also going to have some special guests stop by as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.